Welcome everybody to what is probably one of my favorite podcast conversations yet. My personal journey into meditation began about seven plus years ago, and the first few years were spent listening every day to meditations on the fantastic Headspace app. So shout out to my sister who first introduced me to Headspace. But today we have the amazing pleasure of speaking with its co-founder and the voice of Headspace, Andy Puddicombe. Andy is a very good friend to Action for Happiness, and we dig into his incredible story, including his decision to leave his life and job behind to become a monk, and how the lessons he learned were transformed into meditations, stories, and videos in the Headspace app, helping millions of people worldwide. This gives Andy a great global perspective on what the common themes are, what to expect in the next five years, and the importance of community. Since the lockdown began, Headspace has really focused on helping those affected the most, and there are many really cool free tools and meditations for the unemployed, teachers, students, healthcare workers, and anyone who's struggling with the effects of the pandemic. So again, please do check it out. There is really nothing quite like it. Um, but definitely, as I say, the community thing, I think, is, is huge. I think it's something that's been lost in society as it's just become a lot more individualistic. Um, and not to live as extended families in many parts of the world anymore. So I think that, you know, having groups of like-minded individuals who can come together and actually make a difference, do positive things in the world that are making a difference. It's good to have an intention to do positive things in the world. It's arguably even better to go out and, and follow through and, and to, to make it happen. And I feel like those communities within Action for Happiness, I've seen that like time and time again over the years. They are going out and making a real difference. The Headspace mission aligns with the Action for Happiness one to improve the happiness and health in the world. At Action for Happiness, you can join thousands of others who are spreading a bit more happiness in their homes, workplaces, schools and local communities. The Action for Happiness website has all the information you need for our 10 Days of Happiness program. Watch talks from inspiring speakers, and our Exploring What Matters course, which is helping people and groups worldwide. All the information is online and we're here to answer any questions you have. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow to keep up to date with all of our content. Find out more at actionforhappiness.org. Join the movement and be the change. So Andy, really appreciate that you're doing this and what an honour it is to be talking to you. So the relationship between yourself Headspace and Action for Happiness actually goes back many years now and indeed your friendship with our director Mark Williamson. How did you guys first get introduced? Um, well first of all Heike, um, thanks for having me on. Yes, um, <laughs> well said. And yeah Mark and I we were both doing a BBC, um, I, was, I don't know, I forget what the morning show is called over there but you know the one. Yeah. And um, they took us up to a, a place up north and they had a group of people together and we were, we were discussing different ways of increasing happiness, decreasing stress. Um, and Mark was there obviously talking about um, the, the role of, of action, action for happiness. Um, and I, I was there talking about mindfulness. And um, we shared, a, I think we shared a train journey and, and many conversations in the hotel up there. And, and yeah, I, I think, I, first of all, I just love what you guys do. I think it's such a valuable thing. Um, I know so many people who have benefited personally from it. Um, and I feel, yeah, I feel very happy to, to be involved in any, in any way. Oh, that's awesome. So you're the co-founder of the wonderful Headspace app. And for our listeners, it's a truly fantastic tool 
to learn all about meditation and mindfulness and to develop a practice. But it's also a company on a mission to improve the happiness and health in the world, right? And it aligns perfectly with the Action for Happiness mission, which is to build a happier and more caring society. Yeah. And it's why we love the great work that you're doing as well. It would be wonderful to kick this podcast off by telling our listeners who may not know your journey and also for creating this incredible headspace app. Now, I'll caveat by saying that I've heard your amazing introduction on the Russell Brand podcast, on Simon's podcast, and um, the School of Greatness podcast. So, um, and you're still you know, not bored, Gene. I mean, you're still not bored of the story. It's such a fantastic story. Like we said, a movie could be made of it. And, um, you know, there's no better person to say it. You've probably said it a million times now. So please, if you know, for the first couple of minutes, that would be sure. a great way to set the, um, set the scene. I'd be, I'd be happy to, Gene. I've been, Thank um, you. No worries. <laughs> I've been, I've been incredi- incredibly sort of fortunate, really. It's um, no, no more than that, kind of just opportunities that have arisen in, in my life. My mum my introduced us um, as kids to meditation at the age of, 10 or 11, 11 years old. So it was kind of there in, in the early years. Um, and at the age of 21, I made the decision to quit my university degree and go and become a monk. Um, so I went off to the, the Himalayas. And people often ask kind of, why would you do that? Um, for lots of different reasons. And, um, and I think there were a number of things, some which will be very relatable, like a mind that was very busy, um, often feeling overwhelmed, um, kind of enjoying life in some ways, but maybe not connecting with life in a, a way that felt kind of fulfilling at that time. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, there had been a, a kind of a series of events. Um, my stepsister had, had died in a, uh, she'd been knocked off a bike and killed in a car accident. I'd been involved, or I was with a group of friends when a drunk driver crashed into the group and killed a couple of people and, and injured a lot of others. And I think those, those things that happened in my late teens, kind of early 20s, had left a, a mark where I found myself asking, you know, like what was, what was really important in life and, you know, what was my sense of purpose and direction mm-hmm. in life. So it just, it sounds like a radical step to, to quit university and head off to the Himalayas, but it, for what it's worth, it actually felt, it felt very natural and it felt very... <laughs> Very sensible, at least to me at, at the time, if not to the people around me. Yeah. Um, and I spent, yeah, you know, best part of 10 years training um, as a lay person, then a novice monk, then as a, a fully ordained monk um, in different monasteries and centers around the world. Um, before going back to, to the UK, meeting the co-founder of Headspace, Rich, Rich yeah. and starting Headspace just over 10 years ago. And did you feel that, or had you experiencing some kind of, I don't want to use enlightening moment, but had you already like experienced, wow, you know, meditation, what it was to observe thoughts and say, wow, I can see that there's, or was it, I'm feeling so much pain that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find something. And so therefore I'm going to go on a journey of self-discovery or something. Or how do you say, wow, this is amazing. I really want to dig my heels into this. I, I'm going to be greedy and have both. I think on yeah. the, on the, on the one hand I had experienced even a really early age, um, a mind that could actually be sort of a little quieter, a bit more expansive, where there was a bit more kind of clarity. Um, and that really interests me from an early age. I can remember sort of, you know, I started reading about different yogis and monks and teachers who had spent a lot of their life doing, doing that. Yeah. Um, so on the, on the one hand, 
Um, there was that. And on the other hand, there was an, an element of wanting to escape. So I would say it was, it was part search in a, what I think most people think in a more sort of positive way. And it was part escape, kind of needing to actually remove myself from the discomfort um, and the distraction of my everyday life so that yeah. I could actually just better understand what was, what was happening in my, in my mind and in my life at the time. And in that 10 or 10 plus years of back and forth, um, was there a particular moment in that period where it was, you felt a profound learning where it was like, yep, yeah, this is, it wasn't purely just the observing the thoughts and doing the, the wax on wax off, yeah. but it was actually the benefits of it was like, wow, this is, this is something really profound. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, that's, that is the, the journey. Um, and I think the journey is the journey of a lifetime. So I still think of myself yes. as, 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 as a student of this and I, I still have- Still get angry, still get frustrated. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, yes. And I, you know, and I still have those moments where it's a funny thing. I, I kind of think meditation is, is interesting. I feel like you can, you know, maybe you, you do it for a month and at the end of the month, you know, the penny drops and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. This, mm -hmm. this is what it is. And then a year goes by and then another penny drops and it's like, ah, okay, I thought I knew, now I know what it is. And it kind of continues and continues in, in that same way yeah. um, until eventually we're just comfortable in our uncertainty and yeah. in not knowing and just being open to life as it unfolds yeah. either within meditation or outside of meditation. So, so the, Sorry. No, 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 no way. You go. You go. <laughs> uh, 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 but yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there, have, there have definitely been kind of pivotal moments, though, you know. And, um, there, was one, there was one in particular um, that, that I remember in, uh, I was in a, a long-term kind of retreat. And I definitely experienced my mind in a different way in that retreat, um, with a different sense of connection to people and the world. Yes. Um, that, that I hadn't really kind of had before. And that definitely kind of took me off in a, a slightly different path and um, has pretty much led to, to where we are now. Yeah. And the different styles of meditation that I've heard you refer to before, like a Burmese tradition and the Tibetan tradition. And for myself and for listeners who don't know that side to mindfulness, we know yeah. what what you've introduced and what the science yeah. and what John Kabat-Zinn introduced. Is it, a, is it a process of you taking the best bits from each or finding what are the themes that remain true to each, like, like Bruce Lee and taking a bit of, you know, jujitsu <laughs> and a bit of that to make his own style of Jeep couldn't do. Is that, would that be a fair description of it? I mean, it's rare that I get likened to Bruce Lee. Hey, are you I'll, are you the mindful I'll, Bruce Lee? I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a mixed martial arts, but a mixed mental arts, if you yeah. will. You know. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I would say it's basically kind of how, over time, all of those practices have impacted my own learning, my own understanding, um, and definitely kind of informed the way I teach. I've never really thought about it in a structured way of, okay, I'm going to look to this particular tradition and take this bit, this bit, this bit, and this tradition. Mm. And it's just kind of how I've, having gone through that process, yeah. this is kind of how I've come out. And these are the bits that have yeah. stayed with me and that feel most relevant. I'd say with some of the Tibetan stuff, that's maybe a little different because some of the techniques are, 
so kind of steeped in um, tradition and ritual and they're often very kind of visual um, and some of those wouldn't necessarily work in a secular yeah. context. So there are personal practices that I have that I don't necessarily bring into kind of public teaching and in, in, into headspace, but more, yeah, I, I think your, your description of kind of taking, trying to take the best of everything whilst not losing any of the authenticity and essence has been, yeah. been the goal. Yeah. And just to be clear, although it's the, the, the mindfulness of meditation is heavily rooted in history and Buddhism, it's, yeah. it's, I don't want to use the word a secular practice because whether you are a believer or a non-believer, it still has beautiful, you know, you could still be mindful. You could still practice mindfulness and enhance your belief or enhance whatever aspect or whatever your personal view is, right? Yeah, and I feel that's a, it's a really important point. Um, one, nobody owns compassion. Nobody owns awareness. Not any one country, culture, religion, tradition. Like it's inherent to us as human beings. In the same way, we are all inherently mindful. We may not always realize it and we may not always apply it in our life but it's a quality it's not something that we can go and get from somebody else or from somewhere right. else so it's more I, I feel like all of these techniques regardless of our faiths and our beliefs and our opinions and everything else um it's really just a a very skillful way of seeing the mind more clearly developing a greater sense of curiosity and, and kindness yeah. And yeah, as I say, it, it really doesn't matter too much, kind of, um, what, we, what we believe in. You, you talk analogously in, in the way you describe your different users in, and I may be, you know, very high level, but, you know, there's the, the user that takes it day by day on a preventative kind of method, like a multivitamin, and you get those that only when it's, the pain arises, oh, now I go to the medicine cabinet. Yeah. And then you get those that when there's these, you know, a death in a family or a big tragedy. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be fair to say now that it seems like since March has kind of been a bit of all three? All right. <laughs> I think so. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I think so. So how, how since lockdown began and this, you know, it's obviously affected not only the, it's amazing how it's this global effect, right? And it's still yeah. to this day many, many months in. How have you seen activity change if any and you know what what's your feedback you know being behind the scenes and getting a good kind of you know bird's yeah. eye view of this yeah i think um like it's been incredibly challenging for for so many people um around the world i think in terms of the way people are engaging with the apps with with the with the app um we've seen yeah in, in the early weeks especially we saw um content around stress and anxiety kind of spike at sort of over a thousand percent kind of increase in in usage so i mean like really significant we've seen we've gone through periods where downloads and registrations have doubled i think it's part of that is because people have been struggling and part of it is because we've intentionally gone out and tried to reach people who may not have heard of it before mm. so we made it free for the unemployed, we made it free for healthcare workers, we made it free for educators. And so I think, you know, it's not, some of that data is a little bit skewed by the fact that we were actually onboarding a lot of new people who wouldn't previously have, have, have tried it. But yeah, I, whether it's anecdotally or whether it's data, data driven, I, I think everything points to most people are having a really, really difficult time, whether 
they've been directly impacted by the virus, whether it's impacted somebody in their family, um, or whether it's circumstantial environment, yeah. maybe a change, a lost job, um, or experiencing more loneliness, being locked up at locked up at home. I think it's it's really kind of it's really impacted mental health. I think to an extent that we don't even understand yet. I think yeah. down the line, the implications of what has happened over the last six months yeah. um, are going to become more obvious. And they said. Um... The number of workers on UK company payrolls today, BBC article, fell by you know, 650,000 between March and June. Yeah. Um, unemployed was 2.6 million you know, in, the, in that same time. It's having a, a massive effect. And so the wonderful, you know, on Headspace, the opportunity to, for those that are unemployed, they now have the ability to go to the site for free. Yeah, yeah you can uh, use it yeah. for free. Yeah. yeah, and for those, that are not unemployed, but there is um, a two-week free trial that they can download where there was amazing videos and animations and introductory meditations. And there, there is, There's actually a bit more than that. So what we decided was, because having made it free for those different groups, we obviously got a lot of inbound kind of saying, well, I'm not a healthcare professional, I'm not a teacher, and I'm not unemployed, yeah. but I'm still having a tough time and I can't really afford this, kind of how can, how can you help? So we created a whole separate part of the app called Weathering the Storm. Um, that's free, ongoing. Uh, there's content there around stress, anxiety, insomnia. Um, there's even kind of mindful movement classes. So um, just find Weathering the Storm tab in, in the app and yeah, yeah. You, can have, you can have ongoing free access. You're listening to the Action for Happiness podcast. I'm your host, Ski. And in this second half, we get into education, the importance of community, taking action, and Andy shares what matters most to him. For, this is going to be a section of where I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. But um, <laughs> after being told about mindfulness approximately seven years ago by a good mate, then you know later on my sister mentioned this app Headspace. Okay, I'll check it out. Now I wasn't stressed, or I didn't feel like I was going through any anxiety. I was just very curious about philosophy and the truths of life. And you know, so when I played the app, the immediate thing I noticed was, wow just for the first time ever observing my thoughts. And it was just such a weird experience of like, okay, this is what I'm living in all life, day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment. And now just to sit back and observe it, how loud and chaotic it was. Yeah. And that sparked my journey of interest. And so I did the, the 10 days as it was back then of uh, free yeah. med- the free yeah. meditations. And then after a couple, I rinsed it and rinsed it. Abused yeah. it a little bit, but then I did the um, then I purchased the, the full whack, you know, the yearly mm-hmm. subscription. And I have to say, for the next year and a half, that really was my, my wax on and my wax off, you know, just every day just drilling it. And I just want to say a big thank you because that really opened doors, not just only to less stress and to less anxiety, but just the whole perspective in which I see the world now the new lens and it's something that's become a passion of mine. The podcast has developed to be more about mindfulness. That's why I've had Daniel Goldman, John Cavazin, Mathieu Ricard, and it's, and it's all formed in that direction now because of this journey. And if your love is, if your love of life is about truth and um, the big questions in life, mindfulness is such a, a meditation is a wonderful tool that you can use to start peeling away. So I, I really just wanted to, to say thank you for that and get an opportunity now that we're here face to face. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for. I genuinely, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist unless 
folks like yourself kind of use it and get benefit from it. It's why we started it. And um, it's just amazing. It's always nice to hear when people have had a positive experience from it. Yeah. And so when I teach meditation or when I have these conversations, it's like headspace. You know, that's the default, you know, and it's um, thank you again. Thank you. So headspace contributes significantly to the science and research being done behind the benefits of mindfulness and meditation. Just a couple of quotes from the site. So North, Northeastern University found that three weeks of headspace increased compassion by 23% and reduced aggression by 57%. Headspace improved focus by 14%. So how, how much do you guys in general contribute to the, to the wealth of, of research? And perhaps can you share a little bit more like, you know, how important for you is that research element of it and you know what have you got in the works now as far as because you know you're saying i can imagine the number of people that are constantly giving you data and stuff and how we can use that to help others yeah it's hugely important our our second paid hire um back in the day was, was a scientist was a scientist um because we felt really early on it was going to be important it was going to add credibility to what we were doing um to have that our very first study um, was actually done in the UK. Um, it was done with Google and Roche, pharmaceutical company, um, and it was kind of a workplace sort of study. Um, that went on to be a, a sort of a published paper, but we now have 70, just I think over 70 clinical trials kind of either finished or in process. Um, 20, I think over 25 of those have been, been peer-reviewed and published now. Um, we have a team I thought it was about 20, but I found out the other day it's about 40 in our healthcare department um, who, and that's their full-time kind of job is to yeah. one, to help further the study and understanding of mindfulness. Um, but also it's for us as a company to work out how we transition and how we can be more integrated into the healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, so in clinical environments, moving from right now, we are recommended by therapists and doctors um, but this would take us to a place where we can actually be uh, prescribed, where health insurers out here in the U.S. could, could pay for it. Um, and it, it would be a, it's a slightly different kind of offering. Um, but for us, we feel like that's a really important place to get to so that we can genuinely reach everybody who needs it, not only those people who can afford to pay for a subscription, but to ensure that, that, that everyone can have access to it. Yeah, and in the the corporate um, trainings, yeah, um, that you do, do you find that it's more driven by the senior management, to, and then it trickles down, or have you found that it's more the demand from the employees that that trickles upwards, or is it a combination of both? It really is both. I think where we've seen, I think the most common scenario is that. Um, somebody uses it internally or a group of people use it internally. Right. They're raving about it. They will go to their HR department and then that will escalate and it will become a, a conversation. That's probably the most common. I think that said, where we've seen it work best is where either the senior leadership team or the CEO um, actually becomes an advocate for it. You know, so in, in Starbucks, for example, having the CEO and the senior leadership team kind of say, okay, this is what we're committing to. Here's 400,000 kind of subscriptions for, for the team. Um, that kind of messaging goes a huge way because it kind of gives everyone permission. Yes. That if, if that team's saying, 
we're not just going to give this to you. We, we are encouraging you to use it. We are encouraging you to find time within your working day to pause and look after your mental health for your own benefit, also for your colleagues, your families, and, uh, and, and our customers. So I feel like that's kind of where it works best, where you get, you get it coming from, from both sides. And a lot of research has been done with kids. Yeah. And, you know, you have programs from, from every age, basically, right? The naught to five, six, six to yeah. eight. And as a father myself, and I know you are a parent, um, how important is meditation for our youth? Again, in line with your mission, just to, mm -hmm. you know, get it out there. How is it key? Is the, is the youth and the children, is that one of the reasons why? I think so. I mean, it's... No, I, I, it's interesting. We've worked a lot with, with schools. So um, one of our kind of commitments was to make it, make it free for, for teachers and schools and, and children, students. And I, I think part of the thinking, I don't know if you've ever seen that Dalai Lama quote, you know, it's um, if every child under the age of eight learned how to meditate, there would never be yeah. another war or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's optimistic, and, uh, but he, he's allowed to be, right? Um, I think the sentiment of it though, I, I think is true. You know, if, if, we, if we don't give children as they're growing up, the skills and the tools that they need to be happier, to be kinder, to be more open, to be more curious, to be more patient, to be more generous, to be more loving and respectful towards one another. I really kind of worry that we will continue in this cycle of behavior where we see things like conflict, disparity kind of arising in the world so i feel like on the one hand that need it still needs buying it needs you know when we work with a school or a school district and through the authority we still need the buy-in of the school we need the buy-in of the teachers yeah. the buy-in of the parents but ultimately unless we can actually give the next generation and the generation after that the tools and tools they need then i'm not sure we're really kind of going to shift our our collective behavior yes. so my yes. hope is that starting really young and making that feel like it's just part of what we do as human beings. Yeah. And that can be a really valuable thing. And although I can see how it could help with concentration in the classroom and just yeah. when it, when there's quiet, the teachers, the better learning environment for memory and for, yeah. especially for the teachers as well. Yeah. But in the research, is there anything to point to improvement in exam results? Um, off the top of my head, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I suspect there is at university level. I'm not sure at high school, yeah. high school level. Um, there's definitely, um, some interesting research around, um, attendance, um, and, uh, and transition. So, um, students ability to transition from, uh, different types of learning and from, from break and recess and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, I think it's still quite early. Um, and I, I think the, the bit that I'm, I'm most interested in, I, I, it's, it's a little bit like the, the workplace stuff. I think initially everyone was interested in, okay, well, is it going to make the workforce more productive? productive. Are they going to be more focused? Are they going to have less? The bottom sickness? line, basically, yeah. Exactly, the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that has shifted over the years. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it is about the bottom line, but there is a genuine conversation about, how can we actually create a happier, more compassionate environment? And my hope is the same will happen in schools, that it won't be mindfulness is a great 
kind of tool for helping kids focus more. It will be, actually mindfulness is a great skill for encouraging a greater understanding of ourselves, of the people around us, and a more compassionate and empathetic kind of outlook in life. Because yeah. I think that's where you get the real kind of movement. The focus bit's fine. Kids will learn. They'll be okay. Um, I feel like the compassion bit is often the bit that's missed. Yeah. And with a four-year-old myself... Um, yeah. what, what, what kids do you have, by the way? Keith? So I've got a, boy, a four-year-old boy and a yeah. nine-month-old baby girl. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. But I've sat him down with me to meditate and he humors me. He'll do 10 breaths for me, then he'll run off. But what advice would you give as a parent? And, you know, you obviously have raised kids yourself. So without doing what my dad to me with piano, you know, just like <laughs> practice, practice, you know, to like became very good at it, but didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, what, what advice would you have for parents that are trying to introduce, you know, they may be fans of it and just like, you know, I love yeah. meditation. I want to get my children and my friends into it, but yeah. How best to communicate it so that there is a long lasting um, effect. Yeah. Well, look, I'm still, I'm still in the early stages myself. Um, uh, they're three and five years old. So I'm okay, still, man. I'm still yeah. experimenting with some of that stuff myself. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important thing is to create an environment. Um, that is conducive, that's inviting, and beyond that, not get too kind of heavy around it. Almost as if to say, okay, hey, Higgins, I'm going I'm to do this exercise um, at this time. Um, it's going to last, you keep it short, a minute, three minutes, something like that. Um, come, come and join me, come and do it lying down, kind of make, make it feel a bit more like a game, a bit Gamify less... It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, mm -hmm. and my own experience has been some days, same, same as you, kind of, um, my son will um, actually, or both of them sometimes, will, will sit there or will lie there and actually do a, a short exercise together. At other times, one of them or both of them might get up in the middle of it and just start running around and making funny noises and throwing things. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's fine. Like, in the spirit of meditation, it's not, we're not trying to contain. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to... Um, kind of force a change we're creating an environment where change is possible so if you think of that like outside of the mind externally we want to do the same it's kind of like okay there's an opportunity here if you feel like doing it it's fine if you want to stay still it's fine if you want to move it's fine and the more freedom i think generally we create in any learning environment yeah. actually the the more likely it is that people develop their own love for it and they find their own point of connection rather than us as grown-ups in this situation kind of imposing our own our own love for it on them yeah and how how is it that you decided to live in the in the states how did that come about um yeah there are a bunch of reasons i think uh on a personal level yeah i mean you live in london I yeah. Here, right? yeah yeah so having spent a little bit of time back in london um I think, you know, Rich and I and my wife, um, we, we all kind of, we loved the outdoors. We loved surfing and mountain biking. And so there were a lot of personal kind of reasons, yeah. um, weather-related reasons for, for moving out to, to, to Santa Monica. Um, and then on a professional level, I think it's really hard to scale a company from the UK. Oh, okay. You know, California is, is known for 
the opportunities for investment for for scale there's it's easier to to hire talent out here um it's i think in la especially obviously sort of a background a history of of entertainment um but now kind of with with a lot of technology coming into to the area as well we felt that that combination of creative entertainment and technology with a layer of investment that would allow us to scale was probably the ingredients that, that we needed to do what we what we did and we went into it in a really naive way you know when we started in the uk we kind of thought well we want to make it kind of available as widely as possible but i don't think we really understood Gee, what was actually necessary to do that and you know what it would take in terms of a size of a, a team um what it would take in terms of investment to actually kind of make that happen yeah. um so we were a couple of years in before we realized like oh actually this is gonna be really hard to do out of london yeah um so it it, it just kind of made sense to made sense to yeah. me so you have an amazing insight you know going back to the i don't know if i should call it metadata but your links and relationships to this world and this world of real of introspection of looking how the mind works where do you see things going in the next five years you know as it relates to meditation but also in health in business and in education and for headspace yeah um goodness me um i mean that's a lot of different things <laughs> yeah over. there you go deal with it <laughs> so the world in the next five years um yeah. no i i i think I think we've already seen a massive shift um, in mental health, the conversation around mental health. Um, certainly over the last 10 years, um, I've seen a, seen a huge shift. I think it's become less taboo. I think it will continue to become less taboo. I think, um, I think there will have to be provision made for it within the, the healthcare system. The challenge will be how do we scale that provision? Because the truth is, one, we don't want to get into a situation where we're relying on pharmaceuticals for, for, for mental health, for the prevention or treatment. Um, but also, kind of, there's not enough people like to do like one-to-one, in-person therapy and counselling. So it will have to come down to some kind of scalable solution, which inevitably will involve some kind of digital solution. Um, so I think Headspace can be and is one part of that. But it is just one part. I think it will require sure. many, many different sure. approaches. Um, but my, I guess the thing I, that makes me most kind of happy is that at least we have got past this point of hiding the fact that mental health um, is really difficult for many, many people. Um, and that often there aren't the resources available to, to approach that. So my, my hope is that that's sort of moving in, in the right direction. Um, apps have obviously become a lot more a lot more popular when we started there weren't any um, for meditation and mindfulness there are now I'm told over kind of like uh, there's thousands maybe five thousand um, so there's, there's a lot out there I think the challenge is going to be how do we ensure efficacy um, and how do we create a landscape where people actually know what it is that they're doing because as all these things have come along, there's like, there's relaxation and there's different types of meditation, and there's mindfulness and, and it's all kind of mixed up together. Um, and so I think there will be a greater need and probably a greater call either from consumers or from authorities 
to to somehow kind of find a way of you know ass- assessing these these yeah. tools um, and making sure that yeah that, that not only that they work but that they're safe and and that you can trust kind of what you're what what you're doing. So I I say that healthcare piece. You know we we felt so strongly about that as a as an idea yeah. that we created a subsidiary Headspace Health. They say we have about 40 people working on that now. Um, and I think that will be where we, you know, personally as a company, we will we'll mm-hmm. kind of put most, most effort behind um, making sure that we, we can kind of give a prescription grade um, experience that, yeah. that can be trusted, that doctors feel comfortable with and uh, getting out to, to more people. Mm-hmm. And what, what would you say and what message would you, would you share for those part of your mission and the action for happiness mission and this movement for just helping each other and for a more caring society you know what action do you think people can take and you know what what advice to help with this movement and to get it to where you see it needs to be i think the most important thing um and we'll come to community in a minute because i think that's one of the we can end on that yeah that you guys do do best you know yes Um, and the it's very difficult. Like the digital experience is very difficult from the in very different from the, the in-person yeah. experience. Um, I think the most important thing is sort of a degree of self kind of like ownership and responsibility. It's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen by accident. Like we all have our own role to kind of play in it. Um, and taking some responsibility for that in looking, not only looking outward, um, to what's going on in our uh, communities and our families and, and everything else, but also what's going on inside. Because if we are not at peace with ourselves, it will be very difficult to be at peace with the world. Yeah. Um, so I think having some kind of self-care routine, doesn't have to be meditation. I think of it a bit more broadly. I think about it in terms of movement, and meditation and the the food we eat making sure they're getting enough sleep making sure there's an area or an element of play or joy kind of in your life like trying to ensure that and i know it sounds like a lot of things but mm-hmm. actually a lot of, there's often room for those things already in their life there may be things that we're already doing but we're not approaching them in a way yes kind of, it's a sort of a positive way so i think having that area of self-care for oneself and then thinking kind of okay well, we don't have to necessarily go out there and sort of be um, evangelical in our approach. That's not always the best way of encouraging people. Sometimes it's, it's more about the friendships we develop and how we kind of show up in different places. And people see that and they like mm. maybe kind of the idea of that. And yeah. then they're kind of in, intrigued and, and they become sort of more, more invested themselves. Right. Um, but definitely, as I say, the community thing, I think, is, is huge. I think it's something that's been lost in society as it's just become a lot more individualistic yeah. um, and not to live as extended families in many parts of the world anymore. So I think that, you know, having groups of like-minded individuals who can come together and actually make a difference, do positive things in the world that are making a difference, there's always this... I feel like intention is the most important thing. It yeah. always comes back to intention. Right. But it's also really nice when the intention is manifested, when it actually becomes something and it's expressed. So it's yeah. good to have an intention to do positive things in the world. 
it's arguably even better to go out and, and follow through and, and to, to make it happen. And I feel yeah. like those communities within Action for Happiness, I've seen that like time and time again over the years. Yeah. They are going out and making a real difference in the community. Yeah. Um, and then just a final thought Pete, is the, the temptation, I think sometimes, and this is something we grappled with internally as well. When you think about impact, we tend to think about impact. We, it's often confused with scale, right? So people often will ask kind of about headspace and it's kind of, well, how many people are you impacting inside? Okay, well, we reached like 70 million downloads or whatever ever it is. And, yeah. But actually the thing that resonates the most is when I meet a single individual and they tell me the impact it's had on them or it's had on someone in their family. I don't think the two things are like mutually exclusive. I think we, we can, we don't have to worry too much about the numbers and, and the scale. Directly benefiting another human being, having an impact in your own community, your own local community, right. it's so valuable. And the ripples that go out from that will inevitably impact many more people who we may never even get to, yeah. get to know or meet. <clears throat> Right, so just two more questions there, Andy. And, and again, thank you. So this has been awesome. Like I said, geeking out here. But, um, <laughs> has there been any, any thoughts about creating like a, a headspace um, uncut or a headspace, um, you know, where, because when I was, like I said, after a year of doing the meditations, yeah. I felt there were so many questions and it was just so, but I felt alone in a way because I felt that, is it just me? It must just be me. And I was having these amazing experiences and, you know, I felt like I really wanted to speak to people to just find out more about it and have meditations that would speak to, well, you know, we say, oh, a thought arise and observe the thoughts. And it's like, well, hold on. Why are they arising? It's like, we just throw it. Oh yeah. The thoughts are going to arise. And it's like, what do you mean? They're going to arise. You know, where are they coming from? Why are they mostly negative? Why do I feel crappy with a bad thought? Why do I feel... And all these questions and then well who's observing the thoughts if i'm seeing all these thoughts and i'm the observer yeah then and then you start to oh then i am not my thoughts and then that starts to bring in all these other questions and you know we know you and russell spoke about it, it does get very deep and i know there's a deliberate intention not to delve too much in that in headspace because that's not what it's it's primarily there yeah. for but yeah. i'm sure with the, the masses of people that are doing to this it, it, it's like you know it's like this flower that we you know it, you reveal stuff about you inside that you never knew existed. And it's just so, yeah. although the benefits of mindfulness are X, you know, according to headspace, but there's also these benefits and these benefits and these benefits to eventually enlightenment or some kind of spirituality. So has that ever been a, a thought to, you know, for like round two or 2.0 or something like that? I think everything is possible, you know? Yeah. Um, or is the demand there rather? And has that been a massive demand? Do people, you know, write, write in? Or, you know, we've had in? everything from, we've had people who've written in who have gone on to travel to Southeast Asia and to India and actually become monks and nuns themselves. Yeah. Um, at one end of the spectrum, um, all the way through to, yeah, kind of people still kind of in their family situation, but kind of, you know, uncovering things and experiencing things they didn't know about them before. I think the... It's really interesting though, kind of the idea of, of almost kind of like leveling up and I, I understand it, 
at the same time, like I always come back to this idea um, within the Tibetan tradition, this is yeah. particularly true. They, you know, because um, the idea of sort of spirituality existing in almost like a separate kind of realm um, or enlightenment even existing right. in a separate realm. They kind of um, take a, a different approach and it's, it's more kind of, look, you can find, you can find spirituality yeah. anywhere. Like you can find it in headspace, you can find enlightenment in headspace. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the enlightenment that we have in our, our right. mind, in the it, more about a stability of being present moment to moment throughout mm-hmm. the day. And when we have so much stability in our day that that's kind of ah, fairly constant, then we could talk about kind of having a more enlightened experience or a more sort of spiritual experience. But even what you're saying there for many people <clears throat> is an amazing enlightening experience. Just to have that balance, what you're talking before yeah. we talk about spirituality. Like, I'm just saying, yeah. wow, just for me, sir, if I want to spend the next two hours not thinking about my meeting next week, that is a like a superpower almost. Uh, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. You know. absolutely. Um, but I just, I, I only say it because I, I work, sometimes I worry that there's a, a separation in our, mm-hmm. in our lives and it's, it's almost kind of like, oh, well, if I keep meditating, then maybe one day I will be enlightened. No, you are already enlightened right now. You yeah. are fully enlightened. Maybe it's not realized in every moment. Maybe mm-hmm. sometimes it's obscured by the busyness of the mind. But I feel like coming at life from that perspective yeah. actually is very liberating. It gives us a, we're able to relax in our practice of mindfulness. We're not constantly striving to kind of to find something else outside of ourselves yes um and in in letting go of that kind of striving we we yeah we more easily kind of settle into into life but i think there is there's definitely the opportunity we so some of those aspects you spoke about we we they came up so frequently we actually turned into animations so some animations people know about they know headspace the blue sky and there's a yeah, bunch yeah. we actually have about 60 um in total and some of them are more kind of existential in nature like what is emptiness where are yeah. thoughts how do we find thoughts and we thought that was a really kind of helpful way to to approach it and then sometimes we run events and workshops and things where people have the opportunity to kind of dig into to some of those questions yes um but yeah ho- hopefully it will continue to sort of get get broader yeah because i mean and i'll drop it after this but you know when someone says well what's the benefits of mindfulness it's like all right well if you really want to know yeah. if you would if i could get into andy's mind and you say okay well what's the benefits of mindfulness so, okay da, 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 da. you know what i mean it's going to be so different to yeah. what what we, we we see well what the public and what is the general understanding of less stress more com- I think rather, that's right. rather than saying if you're really asking me what the benefits of mindfulness is, yeah. not only mindfulness itself, but there are other other tools that one can yeah. use, but like self-discovery, then all the way to enlightenment. I mean, po- enlightenment is possibly one at one of the benefits. And there's so many beautiful enlightening moments along the way where that reducing stress and better sleep is as a mere byproduct yeah. of that. If we were to ask genuinely, what is some of the benefits you can get? And we were to list them out. We'd ask all the sages, we'd ask you, <laughs> then we would see how actually there's not much of the benefits in this first chapter if you like but yet it is so 
You know, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I, I do absolutely. I, I don't. I don't know if they are different necessarily, and I say that because I, I feel like everybody comes to meditation or mindfulness with a need state, regardless of whether they're looking for enlightenment or whether they're looking to solve the need state. So let's say the need state is I can't sleep or I'm stressed yeah. or I keep having arguments. Like that, that is a need state. And if I think even back to my experience, why I went off to the monastery in the first place, I, I didn't know how to deal with, I felt stressed, essentially. Kind of, I had too many thoughts and I didn't know what to do with them. Had I not experienced that, I wouldn't have begun a journey which gave me a greater understanding of, of my mind yeah. um, or of mind more kind of broadly. So I feel like they're, they're almost inseparable. It's almost like the need state is what finds us. Mm-hmm. And it and is the gateway into that journey. Um, but ultimately, it's not, you can't really sort of split them, split them out. Right. Awesome. Well, we'll end on this, Andy. So an action for happiness question that we love to end on. Um, sure. And I'd love your take on this is, what matters most? Um, I think the, the genuine intention to to benefit others you know and it, it it sounds it sounds cliche and it may not always be what first comes to mind but when we focus on the happiness of those around us we are more happy ourselves that doesn't have to be the reason for us doing it it's enough to do it just because it makes other people happy but a lovely side effect of that is that we are happy ourselves. Scientifically proven as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think just trying to come back to that um, as an idea, you know, whether it's through our meditation practice, whether it's in everyday life, whether it's through our family life, whatever, like coming back to that idea that it's not my happiness and your happiness is our happiness. It's not my happiness and your sadness is our sadness. And once we start thinking about it in that way, like the world starts to change. Yeah. Our world starts to change internally and externally we start to see a shift in our in our community. So that would be that would be my beautiful. All right, again, you know, the Headspace app and headspace.com, like I said, for me, life changing. You know, those meditations, the explanations, the graphics, the gamification of the progress and stuff, truly, and the work that you're doing as far as achieving your mission, it's truly something that I respect and, you know, so happy that you can join us here today on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And needless to say, at this end, it's a it's a big team effort. So a shout yes. out to, to, to the Headspace team. Yes. especially Priyanka, who we've been back and forth on email and she's done a, a, a wonderful job of, um, you know, making Thanks. this possible. Thank you. Yeah. And remember, if you'd like to help create a kinder and happier world, please get involved with Action for Happiness. You can join thousands of others who are spreading a bit more happiness in their homes, workplaces, schools and local communities. Our website has all the information you need to sign up for our Exploring What Matters course and also details about facilitating one yourself. All the information is online and we're here to answer any questions you have. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow to keep up to date with all of our content. Find out more at actionforhappiness.org. Join the movement and be the change.